Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Fantasy Football Addicts Podcast. Today we've got a special guest for you. Uh, and we're going to be talking some Dynasty with Eric Bertsloff. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Dynasty Trades. How's it going, Eric? Hey, it's going well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, happy to have you. And, uh, you know, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know, just what you've done in fantasy or whatever? Uh, sure. Yeah, I've been in fantasy for uh, over a dozen years at this point. I got into Dynasty uh, about three years ago and really haven't looked back since. So. Uh, most of my bread and butter comes, I know this is primarily a redraft pod, but, uh, it's the off season and there's nothing more fun to talk about than, than dynasty stuff. So, uh, you know, my, my, most of my leagues now I'd say are dynasty and, uh, those are the ones I'm really looking to add. And then redraft, I still do with, uh, you know, good friends and work league, but, uh, but no dynasty is where it's at. Yeah, I mean, plus how else are you going to get over that withdrawal, right? You know, it's a long few months uh, between the end of the season and the start of the next. Oh, uh, and like February, th- this is like the best time of year too for it. Like right after the Super Bowl, before uh, before the combine, like it's it's just great because everybody's overreacting and there's not any actual data yet and and, and draft picks are starting to gain value. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. And it's like you can get so many deals done and if you know my Dynasty trades Twitter handle, you know that trading is one of my favorite things to do. So uh, anything that really can give you an edge where people are overreacting based off of no information, uh, you can buy your veterans cheap. I mean, this is this is a cool time of year before uh, before the season really gets kicked off, and it's going to kick off before we even we're going to look we're going to blink, and it's going to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you said that you know the lack of data available in in terms of where people are going to end up and you know how they're going to do it with their new landing spots and just you know where the rookies are going to go in general. I th- I think that's part of the fun because uh, you know you really get to make some bold you know risk taking decisions and you you can get to kind of you know choose to you know perceive a guy however you want and you know either go for him and buy or sell. Yeah, I mean, the speculation between, and it's not even just rookies, it's free agents too, where speculating, making bold predictions about where people are going, who's going to leave. I mean, like last year, for example, everybody was all on the Randall Cobb, is heading out train, and then he stayed, and then the whole world freaked, and then he flopped this year. And it was, I mean, it's just like a crazy carousel that we just ride every every year. Yeah, and really, I mean, I think part of it is that, again, you know, we can make as much analysis as we want. We can, we can look at different teams, you know, salary cap situations, you know, their needs, but at the end of the day, they're going to make decisions that shock, you know, both us as fantasy players and the public in general, you know, even their fans, you know, think about how the St. Louis Rams took Todd Gurley last, last year, even though they didn't really have a need at running back. Yeah. I mean, that was so that's, that's, that's an excellent example. Cause I do, I recall like where, everybody had Trey Mason and uh, their top 12 running backs. And man, did that just shatter in front of our eyes as soon as the Rams took that and, and every Trey Mason buyer, and there were plenty of them last off season, all of a sudden it just crawled under a rock to die. Yeah. Or, and you, you know, people were talking about selling Marshawn Lynch and uh, you know, whether he was going to have another season or two or three and, you know, guys like Calvin Johnson, there wasn't even a mention of retirement. So it's just, things change so quickly. 
Yeah, I'm so mad about the Calvin Johnson thing because there's clearly uh, I heard Matt Williamson talking about he he was ta- he was saying that they've known at ESPN for a couple years that any year could be Calvin's last and like where was that information for us? It, it's just like I wish I had known. I I fell on the sword in one league and it, it's uh you know I I wish the guy the best, but it's it's brutal. Yeah, that that uh, that hurts for sure. But uh, I guess you just got to roll with the punches, right? Yeah, no, and that's that's half the fun is is you get as many you you're gonna get some of them wrong and there's gonna be surprises in Dynasty. That's how it's gonna go. Is there's gonna be guys who surprise you don't retire. There's gonna be guys who surprise you and do retire. Yeah, so I mean, really, for for anyone listening out there right now who who don't uh, you know who aren't playing Dynasty leagues currently, I, I highly recommend it. I, I think it you know helps hone your fantasy skill in general. You you kind of get a better sense of of how the league dynamics work in general um and really it's just a lot of fun um so today we're we're going to talk about some trading and valuation and dynasty in general uh, and then we'll bring up some players that uh, the community's definitely has some split opinions on we'll we'll give our takes on those guys as well uh so eric what do you want to start with uh, you tell me. You're you're the podcast expert. I will uh, I will defer to your knowledge. All right. So, well, uh, you know, why don't we start in general? And and one of the things that I do that I find is very helpful for me personally um, is that I I keep a trade log of different transactions that I've done, and that way I get to go back um, and then take a look at different trades that I've made in the past, and basically look at you know where have I made, you know, really good trades trying to buy low on someone? Where, where have I made, you know, maybe some terrible trades where I tried to buy someone at the peak of their value and then they kind of tanked? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't actually have a trade log as, as surprising as that may come off. I know it is insanely good habit. Uh, but it, it's something that I usually go back at the end of the years and look at what I did, what I did well and what I did poorly. But I think that probably does open me up to being kind of, uh, short-sighted and just deciding after a year whether or not a trade was good uh, but certainly i know i can remember off the top of my head very good trades and then of course i can remember trading tyler eifert for a late second last off season so there's there's painful ones and there's there's good ones that that you know being constantly constantly evolving with the trades offers you're making and realizing how the ebbs and flows of the dynasty community we're realizing now's an excellent time to buy veterans for example and a terrible time to buy rookie picks and vice versa in season is a, is a phenomenal time to buy rookie picks when nobody's thinking about the draft and, and uh, you know, and it's, it's the opposite uh, in, in the off season there. Yeah. You know, the, the one thing I will say is that I think that while it's certainly true that there are certain periods of times where it's better to buy or sell in general, um, I, I think sometimes I like to go against the grain, for example, I see a lot about, uh, you know, a lot of discussions about how you should generally try to avoid buying running backs in the offseason because one, um, you know, we don't know where different free agent running backs are going to go. And two, a lot of times teams will draft a running back and then, you know, a lot of things can change on the depth chart between now and February, uh, you know, through training camp and even, you know, the preseason. Um, but for me personally, I, I think that if I believe in a running back's talents, uh, I'll, I'll go out and try and buy him in the off season, regardless of, uh, you know, you know, what time of year it is per se. Yeah. I'm not sure I necessarily agree. And, and maybe if that's the consensus, I disagree with it as well. Uh, but I think this is an excellent time to buy running backs. For example, uh, buying uh, Dion Dion Lewis is an excellent example of like now is probably a great time to buy that guy. 
before we see him again because he was so electric at the beginning of the year before he got injured. And now everybody's short-term memory, they forgot, oh, yeah, no, Dean Lewis, he's injury-prone. And, you know, they're probably going to pick up a running back or whatever it is they're telling themselves. But there's guys like that where you, if you believe in them, you can get them at a substantial discount. Whereas in season, if you're purchasing running backs, those are the those are the, the assets that help you win championships. So in season, those assets tend to sky skyrocket from what I've seen. But even like Frank Gore right now, nobody's talking about that guy. Like, are, is is Indy really gonna pick up a running back or and, and ignore Frank Gore? I'm not sure, but I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Frank Gore was back. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, and we'll talk about Deion Lewis a little bit more uh, later on when we talk about individual players too, because he's definitely someone that I want to bring up. But uh, in general, you know, I've heard a ton of talk that Matt Forte is going to go to New England in free agency, and we just have no idea whether that's going to be true. And personally, I think that the rumor is a bit overblown, and I, I would be buying Deion Lewis. Oh, I completely agree. And, and I think the, the Matt Forte talk, it's going to be very interesting to see where Matt Forte lands. Uh, I mean, like Tennessee's an interesting option. Like there's a couple spots where if he goes to, to, to places like that and, and in places that get a vacancy, there's, there's some interesting things that can happen. Teams that absolutely need somebody, man, like if the chargers were to take him, for example, Ooh, that would be crazy. Uh, so there, there's things like that that we're waiting for. But again, I, I agree with your, your assessment where you said buy, buying the talent is most important at this time. Because focusing on somebody like Forte, Forte, if you acquire him cheaply, and I've seen him going for mid-seconds, I want to say, which is, for those of you that don't know Dynasty lingo, that's a mid-second round rookie pick. So you're essentially ending up with like the 16th or the 14th best wide receiver in this draft class, and you're trading that for Matt Forte, that's, that's ludicrous to me. So this is most certainly the time where everybody's like, well, his legs are going to fall off, that's going to be that. Uh, but you can also run into situations where you draft Marshawn Lynch in the offseason last year, and whoa, surprise, his legs actually did fall off. So there's obviously risk, and that's what makes Dynasty so much fun. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is that, um, again, kind of going back to you know what I try to do with the trade log when I go back and look at it is, is more so than looking at you know which specific trades I necessarily won or lost – I look at what my mindset was when I made those specific trades and, and, you know, really whether my strategy was correct or not, not so much if the player hit or not. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's such a sound way to approach everything in, in fantasy football. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I, I know for me, the, the first season that I ever played fantasy football, uh, I won, I won the league that I had joined, but it was pure luck. I, I you know, when I was drafting in that redraft league, I was looking at the prior year stats. I had, I had barely had any idea, you know, who the incoming rookies were, just stuff like that, where you can absolutely win if you're lucky, but if you want to win consistently, you got to look at more than that. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I agree. Well, and I think there's so much, uh, and, and I didn't mention this in the, in the beginning of the pod, but I actually played poker professionally for about four years, uh, three and a half years or so. Um, and, and, there is so much value in not being what we would call in that industry results oriented, which in, in fantasy football, there's such a small sample size of, of individual situations where you can get very lucky on a rookie and then he vanishes in, in no time at all. Like Akeem Nix was good for what a couple, three years and then just is off the face of the earth. And was that a good decision or a bad decision? I have no idea because there's not enough sample size. So 
really standing behind the rationale of why you are making those decisions and not overreacting when something doesn't go exactly as planned. Uh, if somebody does end up with injuries or if Jimmy Graham tells his tears his patella tendon, like there are going to be things that happen. They're going to be bad beats is another poker term we use, uh, bad beats that kick, that make you frustrated and that, that you're, that are unpredictable. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to make the best decision for a sound reason. Yeah. And you know, is, is there anything that you particularly look at, uh, you know, when you're, you know, throwing out trade offers, do you like to, I, I know that there are different strategies in terms of, you know, proposing the initial trade. Um, you know, some people like to kind of lowball, not, not to the point where the other owner would necessarily be uh, offended by your offer, but you know, something that you don't necessarily think will be accepted. Or do you like to put your cards on the table and say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm not really willing to go higher than that. Oh, well, nearly zero. Well, I'll say, I'll just go ahead and say 0% of the time. Do I put all of my cards on the table in a trade? Uh, I'm always looking for a little bit of icing, a little bit of a filler that can go on top. Uh, so when I, when I throw out my first deal, it's going to be a deal that I, I generally anticipate not being accepted and people will freak. And, and, you know, like there are guys who get so offended by getting trade offers that are poor trade offers that they're like, why would he even toss this to me? And it's, it's, it's the start of a negotiation where if you do throw all your cards on the table, the only place you can go is to losing that trade. Now there's, there's obviously exceptions to that rule where say I'm trying to buy uh, a person I'm buying, two guys I'm trying to buy right now are Jeremy Macklin and Demarius Thomas. Both are for whatever reason, very, very low, uh, price wise, uh, and, and, and seem to be descending as well. Macklin might kind of be hovering around the same, but Demarius Thomas is definitely plummeting. So those are two type, two players that my, my strategy might be to actually throw out an offer that I think is fair market value, but not in my eyes, something that I view as fair, uh, something that, that I don't view as an actual fair value for that player, if that makes sense. Sure. I think that may, that, that absolutely makes sense. I, I think a, an example would be, you know, back, uh, you know, maybe a month or so ago before, uh, you know, before there was more concrete news of Calvin's impending retirement talks, um, you know, back when it was first just an unfounded rumor that was floating around that Calvin Johnson might retire, uh, you know, I, I sent out an offer in one of my leagues to acquire him for a third round rookie pick uh, just to see where that might get me. Um, it wasn't accepted. And, you know, honestly, I probably would have gone up to a second. Uh, but, you know, that was just the initial offer. I, I, it was to get talks going. And, you know, the other owner wasn't offended and nor should have you been. Yeah. And I mean, there's a there's definitely a dance to trading and and there's. And I guess you can spot the guys who are uncomfortable trading pretty early on or the guys who who are bad at, at, sh at, at balancing the way that they show who they're interested in and what they're actually willing to pay for that player. Uh, and, and that's really what you want to avoid is because ultimately at the end of the day, you do want to acquire assets that you believe in for as cheaply as possible. So if you can get an extra second on top of that by waiting three days for that guy to think over it, uh, patience is a massive virtue I found in dealing with dynasty trades where usually the guy who blinks first or the guy who acts too quickly unless the trades just a mistake trade offer and lord knows i've thrown out a couple that got snap called uh that if there is a, that, that it, if you do send it out and they and you camp on it for a couple days all of a sudden you say yeah i'll think about it and then you can really tell somebody's hand when they reach out to you a day later and they're like hey what did what didn't you like about that trade what can we what can i give you to really solidify that deal 
where if I had just, even if I thought it was a very reasonable trade, if I had accepted that right off the bat, I might not have had that conversation and I might not have gotten that extra dressing on top. Sure. And again, to your point, I think, uh, you know, two things. One, um, I, I don't remember now where I heard this quote. It was probably originally from someone on Twitter. So credit to, you know, whoever said this originally. But I, I think one of my favorite quotes is um, the, the best trades are the ones that leave both owners with regret, you know, where, you know, you throw out a trade that you think you're winning. And then they accept it immediately. And then, and then both owners are kind of like, wait, was, was that really smart? Should I have done that? No, I mean, I think that there's, those are the deals that I generally try to avoid unless I'm buying low on a guy. Uh, that the, I try not to get pressured into what I call lateral deals, which are deals where I don't feel that good about it. Uh, but I, but I, I mean, I agree. It's kind of like that used car salesman ideal where it's like, if, the used car salesman isn't happy and you're not that happy, then you both, then you probably got to the right price in the middle of it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, uh, a quick example of this is, you know, in the league that you and I play in together, um, I sent an owner an offer, you know, during the NFL playoffs, um, right after Martavis Bryan had that uh, crazy circus touchdown catch. Um, I think it was against Denver or no against uh, Cincinnati. No, it was against my Cincinnati Bengals. That's right. Um, so yeah, I sent an offer of basically, you know, there, there were two rookie draft picks involved, but there were only, you know, a few spots, you know, it was mostly a filler, but, uh, I basically gave Martavis Bryant for TJ Yeldon. Um, and I actually thought that he would want more for Yeldon, but, uh, that was accepted almost immediately. And it actually shocked me a little bit. Yeah. And that's, that's why, that's why I think it's critical that you don't, Play, play your cards on the table because feeling out, I guess when you throw a, and also it's, it's a very good uh, reason to keep communication with your league partners open at all times and feeling them out and chatting and goofing around. Because if you're, if I'm throwing a trade offer at somebody in a league where I don't really know them and I'm just, just a shot in the dark, I have no idea how they feel about a particular player, uh, whatever it may be that if I don't know, if I don't know how they feel, I don't want to, I want to at least feel out their thoughts and I want to at least have a couple, a couple trades that are rejected where comments go back and forth and you say, well, I really like this piece and I don't know about that piece. Or I think this piece is probably worth, I don't know, like a late second, but I, I just don't see this piece worth that either. I think I need a little bit more. And then you can kind of go back and forth and that probably leads me to a pretty good thing that I do, that I do do in, uh, in, in trades is keep uh keep notes and there's actually a notepad on my fantasy league that you can use i actually keep notes on my trade talks with guys and who guys like uh why they like them actually what fan if they are a fan of a team i really like to keep that information because they generally are watching each of those games and have a skewed view of those particular players but it's almost like keeping uh like picking up tells in poker it's the same idea where when you learn information you don't want to just forget it later. So going back to the notepad before you start your trade negotiations really gives you a place to say, okay, that guy thinks he's weak at running back. So he really needs a running back. Maybe I'll offer him TJ Yeldon as a starting place here. Oh, and snap, he called. Uh, might be like a, after you had several tries of trading with that guy in the past. And then finally, the Martavius Bryant one gets called. I thought you were going to say after you've had several beers and you throw out a trade offer. <laughs> yeah, actually, I made a deal last night that I'm, if he wasn't drunk, I don't know. Uh, he was he was really giddy with the deal. So <laughs> it was just an NFL, actually. I mean, uh, I guess whatever gets it done. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's fine. It's, <laughs> it's, but yeah, no, I've definitely seen that before. Like I went on a, I announced I was going on a bachelor party for a weekend and I got inundated with garbage trades in every one of my <laughs> leagues when I announced that on Twitter. So <laughs> it's, that's, that's, that's probably pretty to funny. be expected with playing with so many people from my Twitter timeline there. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's actually a great idea, and I, I might start doing that in terms of just you know looking at what other owners have said in the past about how they feel about certain players. Because I, I know you know sometimes the conversations kind of circle uh, back to the starting point, and then you you just realize that something's not going to get done here. Um, but but I think that helps to avoid that, um, especially because I think one of the most important rules of of dynasty trading, or really of any negotiation, is that you know, sometimes you're going to realize that how you value a certain player or piece is, is just going to be, you know, way different from how somebody else looks at the same player. Um, and that in those instances, then maybe you just can't get a deal done. Yeah, no, and there's, there's definitely truth to that. And one thing I will, I will kind of mention in that is don't get, one of the important things is don't get bullied into a deal you really don't want to do. Uh, you know, you might say, you might say you value somebody a certain way, and that you're like, okay, well, like, and then the more you think about it, the more you're like, well, no, I don't actually feel that way. And that's perfectly fine. But there are some owners out there who will put rake you over the coals for saying you believe one thing and then going back on it later. So don't feel guilty. That's part of the figuring out even guys who do rankings all the time, like, like myself, it's like you, you get there and then you, you're like, okay, but the rankings say yes. But the more I think about it, the more I, I need to adjust my rankings and I don't like this move at all. Or uh, I, for example, I was thinking about buying Cam at one point. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it was a terrible time to buy Cam uh, right there at the Super Bowl time. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't want to pay a king's ransom for this in any way, shape, or form. So I, basically, I backed out of the deal at that point after kind of instigating that conversation. And that, the other owner, I don't think, was particularly thrilled with it. But at the end of the day, you you would have to live with that bad deal and overpay for for some time in the future. So. Uh, it's better to just go ahead and pull out and be honest with the other owner. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, in terms of looking at rankings when you're trying to negotiate a trade, what, what I like to do is I'll, I'll certainly use the rankings as a guide. One thing I like to do is I'll look more at the rankings, um, you know, when I'm trying to sell someone, trying to say, hey, look, you know, the community in general values this guy, you know, this way. So I, I don't think that this is enough for me to sell when in actuality, I kind of like the deal. And then on the flip side, too, when I'm trying to buy someone, then I'll say, hey, I'm willing to give you this player who's ranked much more highly than him, even though for me, it might be the opposite. Yeah, and I think that that's a nice angle to take when you're in your deals. Yeah, and, and just a quick example, uh, which actually will be a good segue into uh, talking about some specific players, um, is a deal that I actually just made today in our league. Uh, where I traded, uh, you know, the the final trade was Julian Edelman and my fourth round pick in 2017 uh, for Charles Sims and his 2017 second round pick. Um, but really, uh, you know, looking through uh, the trail of emails between our conversation uh, before that final deal got made, originally we were talking about Charles Sims uh, with Michael Floyd and a, a 2017 first round pick and just all different pieces. And finally, you know, the ending trade was nowhere near where we started really. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, you throw in, you start throwing in random pieces and that's, that's why like I, I, a strategy I use a lot of times and we can, we can dive into why Charles Sims isn't my favorite in a second. But <laughs> the, the, one of the, one of the things you can do when trade talks really start to stall 
is you can try to just offer something a little bit off the wall of what you were just talking about. They say, I don't really know how to respond. And, and it's something I do where I'm like, I don't really know how to respond to the offer. I de decline the offer and I don't really have a good counter because I, I don't have a piece here that I want or there's not really anything that makes sense. But then maybe steering the ship in a completely different direction while still getting a piece you want, like getting like trading off Julian Edelman might, you know, highlight the fact that you're low on that. Yeah, and, and really, again, that also, you know, kind of goes to my point earlier where, you know, Michael Floyd was a player that we just valued very differently. Um, I, I valued him much more highly than he did. So at the end of the day, what I wanted to get for him was simply wasn't going to happen. So I moved on from that particular aspect of that deal. Um, but let's get to the more important issue, uh, which is after we, we made this deal between myself and another owner, you messaged me about how much you absolutely hate Charles Sims. That's, that's not entirely untrue. Uh, yeah, I, I view Charles Sims as, uh, as a low-level talent, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't see the upside, I think. <sighs> I, and, I, and I guess I've sold him in every league I bought him. I actually bought him last year just to sell him for that purpose. So um, I guess I don't have like a ton of reasons other than I, obviously I never see him as a bell cow. Um, I think his value is so much, I, I guess it's not even inflated. I guess you're one of the few people I've talked to recently that actually have him highly rated. So, uh, I would be much more interested to hear why you, why you, he's your boyfriend and you love him. <laughs> All right. Well, first off, let me, let me pull up my rankings here real quick and just see where I have Sim. Let's see. So I've got Charles Sims at running back about 26 right now, um, which I suspect might be a little higher than most people. Um, but it, you, said, you said 26? Yes, 26. Um, and then here's, here's my reasoning, not necessarily just for why I like Charles. We'll get to that in a second. But in terms of that specific deal that I made, I think that oftentimes a player can have different value to a team based on what their roster looks like. Um, in this particular instance, uh, I own Doug Martin on the, on that team, which uh, I just want to mention that won the won the title in 2015. Here, uh, just a quick little uh, brag post there. Yeah, no, well, I don't think I'll be coming for, for your spot, but that's that's one of my least favorite teams, and I'll be I'll be gunning for your spot shortly, though. So don't you get <laughs> too smug up there. All right. Well, we'll talk about that later. But, you know, specifically as a Doug Martin owner, I, I think that Charles Sims was very valuable to me, valuable to me there. One, because, um, well, really, I see it as a win-win. So there are two scenarios that can happen in the near future. Uh, number one is that Tampa Bay re-signs Doug Martin and he remains, you know, the lead or starting running back there. Um, in that instance, then I now have Doug Martin's handcuff. And separately, Charles Sims is a decent running back, uh, even when Doug Martin is playing, because he'll have, uh, you know, those nice PPR weeks where he'll catch four or five balls for, you know, 50, 60 yards. Um, separately, in the second scenario, in where, you know, in which Doug Martin would go to another team in free agency, in that scenario, regardless of how I view Charles Sims as a player, I know that in that instance, his stock is going to rise, regardless of how people look at him, because the opportunity is there, and that in and of itself should inflate his value. You know, not overly, but it definitely will rise. No, and I, and I actually agree with that that assessment, and I think that's a really 
for lack of a better way to say it, kind of shark play. Uh, because you're you're essentially hedging your bet in a situation where you can't lose. Um, so in this particular, and, it, and it's also worth mentioning that our league is PPR, which I think is infinitely important when you're talking about Charles Sims. So sure. uh, if the league wasn't PPR, I would be really bashing your head in for Charles Sims. But I agree. I mean, his floor is probably six points a game, which is, you know, a running back four to five. That's that's you know, that's not, that's not horrible at the end of the day. If you're, if, if you end up with that and, and I guess that's startable. Uh, but I, I guess I, my differentiation really lies in the Julian Edelman approach to that, uh, the Julian Edelman valuation, not approach. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, that, that I think that's much more where my argument lied, but I think you're, you have made a very sharp play in basically creating a situation where uh, Sims is more valuable in your team because you own Doug Martin and that allows you to have a handcuff that if Doug Martin does go down, if he is resigned, that helps out. And then I, I agree that he should turn into a sell immediately after news of Doug Martin going somewhere else were to arise in free agency, uh, that suddenly you'll be getting a late first for Charles Sims and, and making a return on your investment. Sure. And, you know, we'll move on to the second part of that, that evaluation where, you know, I, I definitely don't think that Charles Sims is going to be a running back one by any means. Uh, you know, even if Doug Martin leaves and he holds down that starting job, I don't think he's going to produce those types of numbers. But at the same time, I, I think that I'm much higher on his talent than you are. Um, I yes. believe I believe the exact quote that you messaged me after that trade went down was that you saw him as a as a James Starks type player. I would actually value James Starks slightly higher. <laughs> Uh, see, and that's where we, we, you know, our difference of, of opinion begins, because I think that Charles Sims, uh, I, I view him as somewhat comparable to Latavius Murray. Um, they're both, uh, you know, a little bit bigger in terms of running backs. Uh, you know, I, I think Charles Sims is like six foot and like 220 or something like that. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but really, I mean, he's, I, I think he's a very athletic player, and I think that he's got good vision, because when you look at the plays that he makes, um, and I haven't watched tape on him recently. This is just, you know, from what I saw during the season, uh, the, the glimpses that I caught. But I think that Sims, um, and, and I also don't agree with some of the Matt Forte comparisons that were made, uh, you know, earlier this past season and even before then when he was coming out of school. Um, I don't think he's quite as talented as Matt Forte. He's not that shifty, but I think he does have good vision, particularly when you get him in space. Um, and that's really how Tampa's choosing to use him. And I think that they're using him well. Um, and in, in terms of that, if he were to get the lead job, I, I think he would be a sell just like Latavius Murray was a sell for me when he uh, was, you know, designated as the de facto starter in Oakland. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I can't agree or can't disagree with that. My my Starks argument is just his productivity and his clear ability to actually fill in the bell cow role relatively well along with being the pass catcher his floor i would argue is very similar um to sims i think that his floor is the same it's like catching four balls for 30 yards and uh that's all he does and rushing for two or something like that on six goes uh but i think they're very similar obviously there's an age discrepancy i think sims is a pretty old rookie if i recall i think he's something like 25 24 25 um and Obviously, Starks is like 29 uh, and on a, on a proficient offense. So I guess my um, my Starks valuation lies in the uncertainty that sits in 
Green Bay, which I'm not. I, I own Lacey in several places, so I'm still relatively high on him. Uh, but I think that Starks has proven to be have much more upside than Charles Sims has ever ever shown on the field, I guess. Well, I mean, I, I guess all that really means is that I know one team that I won't be shopping Charles Sims around to anytime soon. Yeah, no, and I've and I've got and I actually have Starks on my team, so we're both we're both all in on our beliefs. So <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly fair. Um, you know, you know, speaking of uh running backs, uh we did mention Dion Lewis earlier. And, you know, really last season he was a top five running back for a good stretch in PPR. Um he was just absolutely dominating. Uh, when New England's offense was clicking on on all cylinders, um, and really he signed through 2017 with the Patriots for pretty cheap. Um, how would you finish this sentence? I I see Dion Lewis as a top blank running back in Dynasty. Oh man, top 15 running back with no, I'll give him top 12. I'll give him a running back one for me. Okay, um, that, that's very uh, and, interesting. And, and, and then, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that's very interesting because I actually have him as my running back 12, so go, go ahead. So I think that's, that's right around where I'm at. And I think he's got, I think what's more interesting than where I have him ranked currently is where I think his upside really lies. And my, and my rankings upside is, is accounted for a little bit, but would we really be this shocked if, when New, if New, let's say that New England doesn't address running back in the off season, they're obviously going to add somebody, but doesn't address a shifty every down running back in the off season, doesn't draft somebody. And then he stays healthy all year and he finishes as the wide receiver four. would that really shock us in the current running back environment? I don't think it would shock me at all. Yeah. I'm, and I think my main concern with Lewis, uh, is, you know, the injuries because he has had, you know, different, uh, you know, he's been nicked up a bunch over the last couple of years. Um, and really, uh, you know, my view of it is, I think New England, as you know, as you mentioned, certainly will either sign a free agent or, you know, draft somebody, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Lewis is going to just be a non-factor. I, I think regardless, he's still going to be, you know, the main passing down back and he's still going to get a few carries here and there every game. Yeah. And I think, and I think that. Actually, you, you, I've actually just in you saying that I think you've just talked me into waiting until that happens to buy Dion Lewis, because I think so, if somebody ends up in New England, everybody's going to freak and say, "Oh, Dion Lewis isn't the guy anymore," and it's going to be a timeshare or Bill Belichick. We can't trust that guy or whatever it may be, and that's probably the low point now that I'm thinking about it to to try to go out and buy Dion Lewis. Um, now, the obvious gamble you run there is they don't address it at all, and they pick up, they sign a fat Monte ball to the squad. And then you're like, crap <laughs> that they're going with Dion Lewis the whole year. Oh, uh, well, Monte ball. That would be, uh, uh, I mean, I'm be interesting. Being hyperbolic. There's no way they, I mean, let's, let's be fair. I mean, no way that that happened. Yeah. But I mean, to, to be completely serious here, if, if people thought Bill Belichick liked Monte ball, how high would his stock rise again? Well, if he if he didn't put on forty pounds, I think it would I think it would help. But it's like Fat Justin Blackman. It's like at a certain point, you he literally can't do what he did before. <laughs> Same with Lacey. It's like when he's that big, it's it's not going to be as explosive. That's true. I'll just say this: I I do think that if New England had a healthy Deion Lewis in the playoffs, I think they would have been playing Carolina in the Super Bowl, not Denver. Yeah, I think that that's. I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot of playing the injuries game and who would have won is uh is a is a slippery slope though in that 
in that realm. Sure, I'm just saying if they had that one piece, they add that, you know, better than James White because he's superbly overrated in my opinion. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and just dive on a sword that I was I was really harping on James White last offseason and I live in a glass case of regret. Well, hey, uh, you know, it's it's hard to predict Patriots running backs. Many have tried and failed. No, I know, and that's usually I don't touch him, but he was so cheap last offseason. I was like, man, he's he's got pass catching upside and Man, he, he, he certainly got the opportunities, just apparently can't catch the football. So what can you do? Yeah, um, you know, I, I put him in my rosters in a bunch of MFL 10. So he had a couple of weeks where he helped me out. But other than that, uh, I don't own him anywhere. Um, but, <laughs> I don't either any longer. So Yeah, but uh, again, speaking of uh, fat running backs, uh, you mentioned Eddie Lacy, um, which brings me to my next point, which is that Eddie Lacy is a huge buy low right now for me. Um, people think that he is just done. Uh, people think that Green Bay is going to draft a replacement or that James Starks is going to get re-signed and share a good portion of the workload. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I still have Eddie Lacy as my running back four in Dynasty. I think that Lacy is going to bounce back in a big way next season. Yeah, I mean, the so here's what I'll say. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of Lacy, and I really hope he bounces back. Um, and I, and I think that having him at the RB4 to RB, I mean, basically after RB2, we're in a situation where we're just like, we're, we're speculating. And like, there's, it's like, eh, I mean, do we like Lamar Miller? Do we like David Johnson? Do we like Devontae Freeman? Like any of those players I could listen to an argument being above or below Eddie Lacy, essentially. Um, so it is, it is one of those things where I think it speaks volumes to the current running back climate that we can't, that we don't feel that we don't feel comfortable moving Eddie down uh, any further than that. But I think the talent has proven itself to to this day that like we he had one down year and and I don't know where he finished. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I still don't think he was even catastrophically that bad. He was still starting, which I think, well, actually, I guess that's not true in two games. He what didn't. Right. Uh, but I think he still ended up in the running back 20 range, which is not that catastrophic if, if he's on your team. So I think that him, hopefully making the weight stuff a priority in the off season really adds that upside window to really bring him back to running back three. But I think his leash is significantly shorter where the green Bay is going to get tired of him in a hurry. If in, you know, if next year he shows up 40 pounds overweight again, we're going to have a situation where they're not going to be interested in continuing working with him because he clearly doesn't show drive to do it. And then before we know it, he'll be in Trent Richardson land and, where all Alabama running backs who ate too many cheeseburgers sit. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly hope he doesn't go the way of Trent Richardson, particularly for one of my teams. Um, but but more importantly, I mean, going going back to what you were saying too about you know how he was perceived to have had such a terrible season this past year. I mean, yes, he was definitely playing overweight. That's that much as you know that's apparent to anybody who watched football last year. Um, but look at his stats. He still averaged 4.1 yards per carry. He was still, you know, contact, getting yards after contact. And really the difference was that, one, he missed a game, he got benched for a game, and then also his ankle, you know, wasn't, wasn't 100% for another few games. Uh, r- really, you know, one of the interesting stats that I, I read recently, uh, you know, Mike Clay over at PFF, he did a really great article about how different running backs did against defensive packages. And Eddie Lacy, surprisingly, he averaged 4.9 yards per carry against base defenses. Uh, you know, the biggest difference to me between 
this past 2015 season and, and his first couple of years was that the touchdowns weren't there. You know, Lacey only scored five total touchdowns last year. And really, I mean, assuming that the offensive line gets healthy and they'll get Jordy back, uh, is anyone really betting against the Green Bay Packers offense from returning to, you know, its former productivity? I don't think anybody is, but I don't know that I don't necessarily know that we shouldn't be. Um, I, I, I am a little bit. I, have, I guess what I'll say is I have my eyebrow raised on the on the uh, on, on the Packers offense. I, I just I saw a lot this season that really made me question pretty much everything that's going on there. They've got a, they've got a lot of not only not only skill position needs, it would appear with aging Jordy Nelson. But they've also got issues on their O-line and being able to protect Aaron Rodgers. And then Aaron Rodgers, when he's getting rattled, doesn't look like the same quarterback. So there's – I don't think it's time to panic or freak out, and I don't think that anybody in the community is. But I think it's worth having at least a look at it to see if there's like – you know, basically try to take a look and say, okay, should we – at least have the discussion of should we be taking a harder look at this and seeing if this inefficiency is a larger, yard, larger reaching issue. Um, one and I guess with Lacey, the one thing that scares me is that I think he, while being efficient and while still producing, if he loses the coach in the locker room, that's when things are going to fall apart for him and he's not going to get on the field. Yeah, and I think Mike McCarthy has made it perfectly clear that Eddie Lacey needs to step it up. And, you know, I'm not going to get too much into intangibles where, you know, people have discussions about whether contract years motivate people, but I mean, if you're Eddie Lacy, you know that you have to do amazing next year if you want to get paid. So, I mean, I think he has clear incentive to lose the weight this offseason. There have been plenty of rumors uh, floating around about how he's going to do that. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, even if, even if, let's say, you're unmotivated like a Trent Richardson clearly was, uh, you don't think Lacy wants to get that payday first? I think it's tough to sit in that head um, where... I mean, because you're you're applying logic to a guy who is paid to be a professional athlete and let himself get 30 to 40 pounds overweight. And that's where I'm like, when I start thinking about like, what kind of man would do that? Who would who would not hit the gym every day to make millions of dollars and, and be a hero to people around the United States and, and their fantasy leagues and little kids? And the the disconnect, the, the connection from that to... I don't know that I want to lose the 30 pounds on a contract here because eh, more money, who cares? It's not that big of a leap for me, I guess. Like I said, I don't necessarily believe it, but it is something that legitimately scares me where I think that him being in a contract year might not necessarily mean that much to him. Sure. And again, that's why I try to you know stay away for the most part from those types of intangible discussions where we really have no idea. It's kind of like when you're in the courtroom as a as a lawyer, you never want to ask the question why to a witness if you don't know the answer. Um, but really, I mean, I guess my opinion of Lacey as a player is I, I see a little bit of Marshawn Lynch in him, not only in his ability to break tackles, but also um, you know, he, he'll do what he wants to do, right? I mean, if he wants to eat cheeseburgers and Chinese food in the offseason, that's what he's going to do. Uh, but similarly to how Marshawn Lynch didn't, didn't do great in Buffalo and then kind of had a renaissance in Seattle, I think that if Lacey can just find the motivation, he's still going to be a top five running back, you know, talent-wise and, and production-wise in fantasy. Completely agree. And I think in a, 
in the world we're currently living in in football where everything's a committee and and injuries are so riddled in the running back community in in the running back position rather that that he he is if he's the bell cow and and, and honestly if anyone's a bell cow with the talent that that eddie lacy has we have to put him in the top five but we're, we're almost we're almost the way i look at it almost is running a martavius bryant or a josh gordon type scenario where he's probably one strike away from a death spiral that could potentially end his career uh, I don't know if I agree with that because uh, we we don't have to you know get into a philosophical discussion here, but uh, but I think in terms of you know Martavis Bryant or Josh Gordon, I, I think putting on weight is a lot different from the issues that that those two guys are dealing with. I all right, I'm I won't get into it with you, but I disagree. I think it is very similar. I think it is very similar culture, like not not cultural, but it's very similar like environmental issues that. They are surrounding themselves with the wrong people who either like China food or <laughs> love uh, love bongs. It's you know it's it's one of these things where you know maybe and and like I said, I mean the ones who take themselves seriously and the ones who I mean everybody can be immature and be a kid and make mistakes. That happens. Josh Gordon was 24 last time he made one. Lord knows if I was under a microscope at 24, uh, you know I would have been kicked out of the league probably a couple times. But it's it's something that is disheartening when you're not willing to adapt and you have an ego about it. So I'm, I, I, like I said, I'm not, I think this is all a moot point because I really don't believe that Eddie Lacy is that guy. I think Eddie Lacy will get his life together, but I think he is a strike away from having the perception in the, in the league and with his coaches that he doesn't care. And he's going to, and when I say death spiral, what I mean is the Packers will cut him and then somebody will pick him up and it'll, it'll reek of Trent, Trent Richardson's death spiral is probably the best example of what i kind of mean okay i mean that's certainly fair um I, I don't again i don't know that there even is a right or wrong answer in terms of that so i'm just gonna steer well, this conversation to to predict like we don't know this guy we don't know if he's a real jerk behind the scenes or if he's a great guy who means well we have no idea right i, I mean it, i i get that I, I think that at the end of the day like i said it, it's it's mostly opinion because unless you actually you know have you know talk to these players or are friends with them you really don't know what exactly they're thinking or feeling um all right so let's uh we'll, we'll try to get back on track here i guess um <laughs> so in terms of another you know buy low or a bounce back candidate that i like uh you know from the running back pool uh what, what are your thoughts on melvin gordon because i think that he's maybe another buy low for me right now yeah i don't i i don't own him anywhere and and i i didn't buy him anywhere in the draft, mostly due to not having that draft position. Uh, Cause I think I probably would have taken him if I had the one three anywhere. Um, or the, the one, four or one, five or wherever it went. Um, you know, he, I think, I think there's a lot to be said about the O-line in, in uh, San Diego being so bad and that them being so devoid of talent that it opened up no lanes for him. Uh, so I do think he's a buy in that sense. Cause really he can't go much lower, but Again, this is a dangerous one because players are historically rookies are historically insulated about one to two years in dynasty. So there's a chance that he could fall completely off the cliff, like a you know a Noshaw Moreno or even a Mark Ingram fell off the cliff uh, before he finally got himself back on back on top of the plateau. But it's 
it is. It's it's a dangerous situation because you're you're nearing the end of the insulation. But for the right price, absolutely, I'm purchasing them. Which I think now his price is a late or an early second is what I've seen him going for. I think that's a gamble worth taking, especially with the 2016 class. Oh, really? You've seen him go as late as a as an early second? Yeah, I've seen I've seen yeah, like 201, 202. I want to say I've seen happen uh, on my timeline, not in any leagues I'm in. So I don't know to the integrity of those particular offers or whether they were offers or just, you know, somebody trying to, uh, somebody actually making a deal or somebody trying to feel out his value. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I'd be buying Gordon anywhere past like the one six or one seven, maybe. Man, that's tough for me. I, I like the upside more of the, of, I, I think I'm like much more like the one ten personally. Okay. And, and again, uh, you know, we've had conversations prior to, you know, this podcast where I, I still have a lot of rookie tape to watch. So, Certainly everything's fluid, but I, I think right now I still like Gordon's talent a lot. And I, and I do think that San Diego, um, regardless of whether they stay in San Diego, will, uh, will improve the talent around him. Yeah, and I think they're, they're, the draft capital is interesting there because they have spent so much draft capital on making him happen. Um, so I think that the Chargers spend at least another year trying to make Fetch happen, but I wouldn't be shocked if after this year, like I said, his value just plummets. So that that's really the risk you, you kind of have to associate in with buying him now is that if he flops, the community is going to completely turn their shoulder on him. It's Cody Latimer syndrome is a good way to put it. <laughs> well, I, I was never that high on Latimer uh, to begin with, so I can't attest to that. But uh, I, I certainly... attest that the community was high on him, though. Sure, you? sure. Um, I think part of that is, uh, he went to Indiana and I'm an Illinois guy. So, uh, I never particularly, uh, he, he kind of rubbed me the wrong way to begin with, but, uh, regardless of that, um, so some guys, I wanted to talk about a few players on here, um, just because the community seems to be so split on them. Um, uh, you know, one guy that I want to bring up is Kirk Cousins. Um, so, uh, I know that, uh, I don't know how many of these, uh, podcast episodes of ours that you've listened to in the past, but my usual co-host, uh, Los, he, he's always been a huge Kirk Cousins guy. Um, he used to refer to Cousins as Kirk, the answer Cousins. Um, and I was never a huge believer on him, but, but after watching, you know, a few of his games this past season, I, I really do think that Cousins has the talent to succeed and I don't see Washington letting him go anywhere anytime soon. Um, I, 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 did, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think, man, was he fun to watch. I have a ton of friends who are from, uh, actually like from the DC area originally. So a lot of friends that are, are skins fans. And, uh, usually I really get a lot of joy out of watching the skins lose, but, uh, I couldn't, I mean, that, that fun that they were having on the field was, was pretty infectious. So he's done wonders for the team. And, and I, I, I buy into the fact that he's a mid range QB, uh, like, you know, he's probably a mid range QB too. Uh, if you're talking about like, is it Andy Dalton or Kirk Cousins? Eh, they had not that much of a difference for me. Uh, they both, I mean, if anything, Kirk Cousins seems to be at least a little bit more electric. So there's, you know, it's it's kind of one of these situations where I think he's got a place in the league because there are no, there are teams that are literally starving of quarterback, like the Texans, for example. If you watch Brian Hoyer throw that game away they they could they're like <laughs> give us anyone oh they would they uh, would kill to have cousins for sure oh absolutely so i think he's got a place in the league and i think he stays i think he's a especially in a super flex format he's a nice he's a nice buy if you can find somebody who's willing to sell him and the nice thing i found in super flex leagues is everybody who owns kirk cousins has like four other starting quarterbacks 
because they took a gamble on him and he panned out. So generally speaking, they don't have a need for quarterbacks. You can get him somewhat cheaply uh, and smart owners might be, you know, might hold him over your head, but I've seen deals deals with him for, you know, second round picks in, in super flex leagues. Yeah, I guess, you know, looking at his stats for last year, I mean, he actually led the league in completion percentage at 69.8%. Uh, he was top 10 in yards per attempt. Um, and my main concern was were two things. One, in terms of his weapons, Jordan Reed's never really managed to stay healthy. Um, Deshaun Jackson, he's getting up there in age, and they, they may or may not have either Jackson or um, Pierre Garcon uh, in another year or so. Um, yeah. And then Jameson Crowder looked good, but you know I, I think he's just a pretty good slot receiver. I don't know that he can do a ton outside. Um, and then they really had no run game, so Cousins was really forced to throw a lot. Um, and certainly volume helps any quarterback's production. Uh, do you think that, you know, obviously, you know, a mid-range QB2 from what you from what you said earlier, but do you think that he, you know, either improves from his stats last year, stays about the same, or declines? What, what do you see next year? I think he improves next year. If I'm just spitballing how I feel about it, I think he does improve next year and take the step. But I do, again, I, I do have... Like there, this that we've seen this song and dance before, where guys have one great year and then uh, dance off to be backup quarterbacks forever. Uh, Matt Castle comes to mind. Uh, Derek Anderson comes to mind. There's guys like that that have shown in a one-year sample size the, the at least the the skill set able to do it. So, and I think Washington is is showing how they feel about him in the way they're handling free agent or in the way that they seem to be handling his deal where it sounds like they're going to franchise him and make him prove it for another year. So I don't think it's crazy. And I think, and I think we do have to take cues from the skins now, since they seem to be making good decisions with the new GM, uh, that taking cues from the team itself is probably a good place to start. So I'm not, I'm going to follow the skins on this one and say, I'm not completely sold on him. I want to see it for another year, but do I think he can do it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's where I am on him as well. I think my main concern was that, you know, there would be another RG, RG3 type situation, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I do agree with you that I think the front office for Washington is, is kind of smartening up a little bit. Yeah, and I, and I really, I mean, it's really cool to see, especially with team me. It's the Raiders and Skins were the laughing stock of the, of the NFL, and they seem to really be able to have been pulling it together slowly but surely uh, and, and not overreacting and See, the old the old skins would assign him to like a hundred and thirty million dollar five year deal. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, say what you will too uh, about Tennessee and Jacksonville, but I think they're on the rise as well. Oh, I agree. There's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a team slipping as well. So, no, it seems to be. Uh, I agree with you. It seems to be everything's going in the right direction. Uh, Kirk's probably not that upset about getting a prove it deal, uh, where he's gonna be he's gonna have a chip on his shoulder next year, so it's gonna be a contract year for him. So. Uh, that I could see him just going out and, you know, just absolutely murdering teams. But yeah, his talent is certainly a big question where you're right at Garcon. And I wouldn't be shocked. I would kind of, my prediction is Deshaun Jackson isn't back. Garcon is back and they draft a new wide receiver is just my, if I'm throwing a prediction at what the skins do this off season. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could certainly see that. I think, you know, they can cut Jackson without that much dead money. So it, it wouldn't shock me. Um, and, and smart money says very fast guys, once they lose their speed, don't produce as much as they used to. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, that's basically Deshaun Jackson's game. Without that, I mean, he's really not, you know, that agile underneath receiver at all. Yeah, he's not running six slot routes, I guess, is what's happening. <laughs> well, they got Jameson Crowder for that. So, I, yep. for what it's worth, I do like Crowder. I just don't know that he's going to be, you know, a superstar by any means. Completely agree. I think he's a limited player, but uh, he certainly could fill like a Jarrett Boykin role for a couple of years where he's just a slot receiver, puts up wide receiver three numbers. And I mean, I'm not saying he falls off the face of the earth like Jared Morgan did, but that's the kind of player I think he projects to be. But that player has a spot in your starting roster. Yeah, definitely. And again, more of an NFL, you know, talent uh, or producing player than a fantasy, perhaps. Um, but, you know, kind of kind of tied to Kirk Cousins is uh, I don't I don't know if destiny is the right word, but uh, evolution, I guess, is Jordan Reed. Um, so obviously he went on an absolute tear to end the 2015 season. Um, you know, he probably won a bunch of people championships if I had to guess. Where, where do you have him ranked, uh, you know, in terms of dynasty tight ends? I've seen him as high as two and I've seen him a bit lower. Uh, where do you have him? Uh, I have him at three right now. Uh, and it, my, my tight end rank, I told you before the show, I don't have my rankings in front of me, uh, which I don't, but I know those, I know those at least, cause I actually wrote an article about Reed recently. So my, uh, my rankings go Gronk, Eifert and Reed. Uh, so Reed's a very interesting player where if he can shake this injury, uh, cape that he wears. And I mean, granted he is, he has shown to be injury prone, but again, it's a very small sample size that, you know, he could he could come out of it. And honestly, I saw him make so many boneheaded plays in the years prior when he got injured, like trying to hurdle guys and make plays happen that were just, he's just opening it up to a big hit. And I think that's actually how, hurt, how he hurt his hamstring that, that one year is trying to hurdle a guy. So there's, I didn't see any boneheaded play for place for him at the end of the year. And I saw a, at least a couple opportunities to do it. So I think he's been getting coached in that way to avoid that. Now, obviously concussions, you can't quite do that. Um, but if he is keeping himself out of those big hits, that's going to help on the concussions too. I think the arrow is really pointing up for Reed. I don't actually own him anywhere because the price tag has always been a little too high for, for me. Uh, but I would not be shocked if he ended up, if there was a conversation at the end of this year with that was, is it Gronk or is it Reed that are, that are the number one? See, I, I kind of take a different approach to Jordan Reed because, uh, you know, you mentioned it briefly, but more so than the soft tissue injuries that, that might may or may not be recurring, the concussion issue is what really scares me. Because, and to be completely honest, the other guys who I have ranked up by Reed, uh, you know, Eifert, Kelsey, they've both dealt with plenty of injury issues themselves. Uh, you know, just not as maybe pronounced or they've been forgotten a little bit more uh, because they, they haven't been quite as recent. Um, but, but really, the thing that scares me about Jordan Reed is his rookie year. Um, that concussion scare that that basically ended his season. He half of his season was lost because they said that one more concussion he might just be done, uh, and that's the kind of thing where you know concussions don't go away. You know you've got all this negative press that the NFL is dealing with, uh, but you know separate from that, it, it's you know those are the types of issues that really kind of stack up. Um, you know you can you can get over uh, you know a hamstring issue uh, you know five years later even if even if you have, you know, a terrible tear or whatever it might be, I, I'm not the greatest in terms of, you know, doctors or med medical info, but I mean, from what it sounded like the reports from a couple years back were that, you know, Reed has a serious issue here and that he, he was seriously considering, you know, just being done from football. 
I think that all I think that's very merited. The soft tissue injuries are also particularly frightening, especially when you think of like guys who have fought this before and, and really lost. Like a Cecil Shorts comes to mind as a guy who, you know, had a lot of talent and then the soft tissue injuries just kept piling up and man, he's you know, he can't catch a snail now. Uh so I think that, that that's that's kind of built into his valuation, at least for me. Um, and that's why I've got him at you know, at three where I, I do have concerns about him, but, and again, the tight end position is such a, such a dumpster fire in the sense that you're either really old, like Greg Olson, or you have injury issues like I've heard or read or you're Gronk. Uh, and so there, there's, there's not really much in between there where like most people's tight end seven is like Antonio Gates, or at least it was last year. And that guy's 37 or 36 or whatever he is. So it, it's, it's much more about the, the position than I think it is about his inherent risk. Cause I, like I said, I don't own him anywhere. I think that he would be a sell for me right now. But like I said, I, I, I still think that if he stays injury free this year and, and ev- everyone has a short memory in dynasty for it being dynasty, and there will be arguments and articles written about him being the number one overall tight end. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good point that you bring up because really, I mean, Gronk hasn't exactly been, you know, in injury free either. And and really all the top guys, the reason that they are, you know, ranked as high as they are, are because they make those amazing athletic plays, you know, up the seam or, you know, make those dangerous contested catches where, yeah, they, they do have a higher, you know, percentage chance of getting injured on any given play. Uh, but really, that's you know the the spectacular catches that they make down the field are why they're valuable in fantasy. Yeah, and I think that they're it's it's a lot to do with body type and tight end, just their size and and being a catching tight end, you become just a massive massive target, and if and and everybody has to go low on you. So there's situations where you get blown up, and then on top of that, if you don't get blown up, then somebody's trying to bring you down by taking out your knee and and blowing that out. So uh, I think that the tight end position there's, I'm like trying to think who has gone through like who's a non-injury prone tight end. And I, I use air quotes on injury prone, but I mean, uh, Antonio Gates, I guess comes to mind, but there's really not that many that have made it through. And especially out of the top guys, every one of them has injury. concerns. Yeah. And I mean, really, I mean, I think the tight end position in fantasy is just so volatile. I mean, but beyond the top couple of guys, there's, there's really no certainty. I mean, even look at Jimmy Graham this past year, you know, people are still taking him the number two tight end off the board. And obviously you can't predict injuries, but look at what happened to him. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So it's, uh, it's something that you, if, if I owned Reed and I bought him for nothing, I might try to ride him into the sunset. Uh, but yeah, my general mentality with tight end and is to, not go after after big talent and try to you know play much more the patchwork game and end up with Zach Miller or end up with uh, um, trying to think of other good examples of who I had him. Delaney Walker is another good example of somebody who is on a lot of my teams. But guys like that who don't cost anything but still are startable week in week out. Yeah, and I think I guess you know my nitpicking issue with Reed is again the type of injury that he sustained with the concussions. You know, I think it's just such a serious issue, especially being in the limelight in recent years. That I mean, if he gets one more concussion, that you know that just could be it. And and, and that certainly could be the case. Uh, and I and I agree, the soft tissue and concussions both have been career enders in other places. Uh, and you're, you're 100% right, but man, when he's on the field, is he good? 
Yeah, I mean, I won't deny that. I certainly hope as a, as a Kirk Cousins owner that he manages to stay healthy. I'll tell you that much. Um, real quick, uh, Tyler Eifert, you said that you had him ranked just over Reed. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so I mean, I think I think I'll know your thoughts here, but I, I guess my question originally for you was going to be whether he can sustain that production because you know, twenty five percent of his catches went for a touchdown this past season. Um, even Gronk and Graham, their career averages are about seventeen and thirteen percent respectively. Uh, I just don't think that it's possible for Eifert to keep up that touchdown pace. But but I think that you know he's clearly you know probably maybe even pushing AJ Green for the number one red zone target in on that team. Yeah, and I think that there's there's de- there's definitely concern about the percentage. And, and one thing with Eifert and, and being a Bengals fan, I've watched a lot of games. Is I mean he's a, he's a dominant talent, and in the red zone, I think he is the number one target where he's been getting a lot of looks. Just you know, when he's not even open, Andy was looking for him, and it was like, and it was a touchdown, or that was the third touchdown of the day when he wasn't open. Uh, that's that's the kind of thing he does. But it's it's they haven't yet, from what I've seen, found a really good way to utilize him in the marching down the field offense. So his catch his catches are just from what I've seen, he he doesn't have, he has what, three catches a game. What what's, what's he averaging out to at 50 at what, like 50 catches on the year. That's just crunching numbers in my head. It is, it's, it's probably like three a game. Uh, so that's something where he's not getting the looks that like a Gronk is getting, uh, that a Jordan Reed especially is getting where if they find a way to work him in to, uh, you know, basically into those targets and, and, and Andy Dalton finds him in his progression. I think there is a lot of room to gain almost in the same way. And, and, and I, I almost put him in the same vein as like a Julius Thomas, which Julius Thomas was kind of hit or miss this year, but Julius Thomas kind of traded in all of those touchdowns he had last year and is now getting blanketed with targets in Jacksonville. And his value stays in my eyes, roughly the same when he's healthy. So I think that that's something that's very similar that if the upside I see is the Bengals figure out the way to get him the ball, six to eight to 10 times a game. And if they do that, then, then he's, his value goes up an an absolute ton. And he is not quite as touchdown dependent because I agree. He is very touchdown dependent now, but I do think he is probably hanging around that 15% of his catches are TDs Mark. Yeah. I mean, I for think the rest of his career is not, not now. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I, I, I agree that Julius Thomas is a pretty good comp for, or what Eifert might be going forward. And, and honestly, I, I think that I, I've seen a few articles here and there worried about the touchdown regression, but I, I do think that his overall targets, even between the 20s, uh, they're enough to sustain production, even if his touchdown numbers drop. I mean, plus, uh, you know, Cincinnati may or may not lose both Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu. Uh, they're both free agents. Um, and really, Cincinnati was the seventh most run-heavy team in 2015, and it's kind of hard to go lower than that. So if anything, the pass attempts are going to go up. Um, I think Tyler Eifert's uh, a good bet uh, to stay at the you know tight end two in Dynasty, t- two through four range for the next couple of years, barring any major injuries. Completely agree. So that's and, and, I, and I would not fault you if you were like, Tyler Eifert is the tight end five, and you have Greg Olson and Kelsey up there. That's fine. I don't have don't have an issue. I think you're nitpicking at that point, but I think he is young enough and has, and if he could have enough things go right to where he could be also be in that tight end one overall discussion. 
Sure, and I think probably 95% of Dynasty players or writers or what have you have, you know, some order of Eifert, Kelsey, Reed, and Olsen, two through five for tight end. Yeah, completely agree. Love to see who else snuck in there if there was another one. <laughs> yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to propose a trade with that guy. <laughs> um, all right, uh, one other guy that's kind of been a lightning rod that... I personally am not that high on, uh, and I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him as Alan Hearns, um, because I've seen very you know different evaluations of him from person to person, and I, I'm really not sure what to think. Uh, Hearns is Hearns is one that, and I I didn't own Hearns anywhere. I wasn't a buyer uh, in that in that what 2013 draft uh, or 2014 draft, I guess it was. Uh, I wasn't a buyer in, in him at all. And he was, he was going dirt cheap and a lot of guys were high on him. I, I didn't touch him at all. I didn't, I didn't see anything, uh, but I did actually take over an orphan team that had him on my team and I kind of let him ride. Um, and man, he's been, he was, he was killer this year. Um, and, and the trade offers I've been getting for Hearns in general have been relatively ridiculous. Like I had an offer for, uh, Rawls for him straight up before Rawls went off and, you know, was clearly an RB one that I passed on. And and I mean, his value right now is sitting, I, I saw a poll today actually, that was uh, Alan Hearns of the one Oh seven and the Alan Hearns side of that deal was winning. So I think he is really starting to become a commodity, at least in the community. I'm very much like you. It sounds like where I'm not sold on it. Uh, but if this Jacksonville offense is to move forward, I haven't seen anything that says he can't be a complimentary role, can't be a wide receiver to, or, and you know, the Eric Decker to Demarius Thomas. I don't see anything that says he can't do that. And if Blake Bortles is going to be throwing this much, um, you know, it, it's something that I think in a complimentary role, he really does. He really does have a lot of dynasty value, but I think if we start getting much ahead of where we're at, it's going to be absolutely get him off of my roster because there's no way he can live up to the hype. Yeah, I think my my opinion is that I'm going to try and sell high on him where I own him, um, simply because, not, not in terms of talent by any means, but in terms of his touchdowns in 2015, they remind me a lot of Riley Cooper in 2013, um, because Alan Hearns had 10 touchdowns on his 64 catches, uh, whereas Cooper had you know eight touchdowns on 47 in 2013. And really, when, when I look at the actual touchdowns themselves, there are at least three or four touchdowns that should not be touchdowns by any means. There's, there's you know one ball that should have clearly been an interception that I don't know what the defender was looking at um, and just completely whiffed on. And then Hearn somehow broke two tackles with a spin move. Uh, and, and as talented as he is, was just complete luck uh, and took it you know 50 yards to the house. And I just don't think that with, with Julius Thomas having been out for most of the season in 2015, I think he's going to get more involved in the red zone. Um, and I really, I've been buying TJ Yeldon everywhere because I think that, you know, 35 passing touchdowns of five rushing touchdowns for Jacksonville last year, uh, you know, that's simply not going to keep up. I just think that they're going to get dispersed around a lot more. And that's really where Hearns made a lot of his money. No, and I don't disagree. And actually the Julius Thomas point is something that, nobody is talking about where if Julius Thomas manages to get healthy, then a lot of these Hearns targets go away. You might've just talked me into selling them in the league that I've got him. All uh, right. Well, I mean, I, and, I hope I'm, uh, I hope I'm not wrong and leading you astray. Yeah. Well, he's my only Hearns share too. I'm like, uh, I'm, 
I tend to be faithful to my guys. So maybe, I mean, it probably makes sense to get rid of him. I, I, I think you did actually sell me on that because the Julius Thomas comment is a very good one uh, because that's, that is going to be the red zone threat. And, and you're right. I'm like going back to like picturing that diving catch. I'm like, man, that was, that was lucky. <laughs> that was lucky. Well, a great catch was still pretty lucky that it came down with it. Yeah, I think what was that? The London game where there was like a minute left and uh, you know, he managed to, you know, scoop that up after Bortles scrambled around for a few seconds and just kind oh, of yeah, threw it up. Oh, yeah, he was the king of that though. I had him yeah, I had him and I that was it was like, "Oh, nothing, 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 nothing." Wait, 17 points. How does he have 17 points? <laughs> yeah, I remember I uh, I actually for those London games, I refused to watch those on principle because I don't want the NFL to, you know, expand to a London franchise because I think that's just terrible for any team that has to fly over there. Um, but in general, you know, I I wouldn't wake up to watch the London games. And I remember I woke up, uh, right around when the fourth quarter was starting and I'm like, oh, of course I started Hearns and he's not doing anything. And then I checked again three minutes later and he had like 15 points. (laughs) Yep. That's, I think I am. I think we're both talking about exactly the same game. So that was one where, yeah, it was great. So no, Ben, I, I I agree with you. I think that the touchdown production is, is probably unsustainable for a complimentary piece in a Jacksonville offense. Yeah, and just one last note on Hearns. I mean, I, I get the argument that garbage points are still points, but man, I I'm just so nervous to rely on those. I, you never want to be sitting in, you know, with three minutes left and just hoping and praying for a, a random garbage time touchdown like Jordan Matthews had or you know whoever. Yeah, I mean, the narrative for Jacksonville this year was very similar to the way it's gone every every year that they've kind of at least that I've watched recently, uh, where they just get get slacked and then they're down by. 40 and then they just bomb the ball and put up 36 points. And I don't know, you know, put up however many points and it's all garbage time points. I think that narrative is going to start changing because they really have been starting to have some, some very good drafts. Who, who was there? They had a, they had a, one of their players, Dante, Dante Fowler. Fowler I want to yeah. say went down in the, uh, like the first day of camp. Down. Yeah. First day of camp. Like, I mean, they're going to be bad. They're going to get another solid first round pick this year. And they're going to, they're going to end up with, I think they're going to, their defense is going to improve immensely. So it's something that I don't think they're going to end up in these situations where they're getting the doors blown off of themselves this year. And maybe this year it is still the same, but in a long-term dynasty play, I don't, they're trending in the the, the direction away from that. So getting rid of your Blake Bortles share, um, even Alan Hearns, as much as I love him, the hype is starting to get too crazy where there's people like taking him one Oh three overall in startups. That's like, okay. Like you mean Robinson? What did I say? You said Hearns. I don't think oh, anyone's sorry. taking no, Hearns 103. Robinson. Yeah, Allen Robinson. My apologies. All the Allens are starting to get. To me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Allen Robinson's even the hype on Robinson starting to get a little out of hand. Where I don't know that I, I don't know that he can get any higher than where he's at currently. And I and I love Allen Robinson. So uh, that it might be time to just abandon ship and if you if you need additional pieces and and really cash out for this high end of the first round of a dynasty startup valuation that's occurring right now yeah and uh all right so we're starting to run a little short on time but i want to wrap it up with kind of a uh, a more general discussion of, of a group of players rather than necessarily you know going super in-depth into each one um but just in general some of the backup running backs that kind of emerged in 2015 and, and blew up um I want to specifically talk about David Johnson, Devontae Freeman, Thomas Rawls, and Jeremy Langford because these guys, depending on who you talk to, their stock is you know everywhere. Some people are saying sell high. Some people are saying I would need the 101 plus to move this guy. Um, 
I, I guess just, you know, kind of what are your general thoughts about these guys? Um, so this is kind of, uh, well, the first three, uh, Johnson, Freeman and Rawls, I think all kind of fall into that, that abyss that I mentioned after the, the running back two or three, they're kind of in that abyss of like, man, where do we put these guys? Do we put Lamar Miller in front of them? Do we put Freeman in front of Johnson, Johnson in front of Freeman Rawls in front of both of them? I, and, and, and it's one of those area gray spots right now that I couldn't fault anybody for doing anything in that, in that world. So I'll give my, my own particular opinions. David Johnson, I've been trying to sell adamantly for the 101 value. I keep seeing cross my timeline and I haven't gotten anywhere close um, for anything, probably less than the 103. I'm just going to hold him. Uh, I think that he does have a lot of upside while I don't necessarily believe in the talent completely uh, watching the tape from last year. There's a lot that he can build on. If that offense is as good as it was last year, there's a lot of upside there for him to flourish again and then actually sell them for the valuation that I want. So I don't think I'm selling for anything less than that. Uh, Freeman, I really like as an, an almost no, a very safe PPR back. Freeman is, is nice. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be giving the 30 to 40 points a game, but having 15 points a game from a running back constantly means a whole, whole lot and is very, very valuable. So I think that personally, my valuation after that in, in the kind of the cluster is going to be for me, probably Johnson Freeman and Rawls. And there's a lot of people who are much higher on Rawls than, than that. Uh, I, I don't know that I can buy into him and I, I'm not going to cop out and make the undrafted free agent uh, statement. I just don't know that I, I believe that him as an undrafted free agent that the NFL scouts could have missed something. I'll, uh, you know, Arian Foster, or, uh, even Alan Hearns that we were just talking about. Uh, but it is, it is one that in Seattle, I'm just not sure how that team is trending that I have concerns about that team overall that I, I, I just don't know if I, if I want to invest in a guy who they haven't really shown that they're super into. Yeah. Lynch is retired, but it, I wouldn't be shocked if Seattle went and addressed running back in the third round this year, that wouldn't shock me even a little bit, I guess is what I'll say. Um, Langford, man, I'm really torn on Langford. I'm trying to sell him in the one league. I have him, but I'm having second thoughts. Uh, yeah, Langford, I, I mean, I guess I'd want, I'm asking like a mid first, and if I can get that, I'll probably sell him, but I'm I'm just going to hold and see what the future brings. I think, I think all, I think all, I think three of these players values are going to rise in the off season and Johnson Rawls and Langford. And I think Freeman's value is going to kind of stagnate and maybe go down a little bit as people continue to forget about the crazy good games he had at the beginning of the season. Okay. Um, I, I think that. Certainly, I'm taking a, a a cautious approach to all four of these running backs. Um, personally, in terms of talent, I, I believe more in David Johnson and Thomas Rawls. Um, I think that if anything, you know, I, I don't disagree that Seattle might bring in another running back, or you know, Arizona might you know add somebody. But but I think that they're talented enough where their starting spot isn't really in jeopardy. Um, Again, the the undrafted free agent argument for Thomas Rawls, I think, is just crap because it really doesn't matter at this point. Um, you know, he's on the roster now, and that that's really all that matters. 
Um, I think that matters a little bit more for wide receiver pedigree than it does for running backs historically anyway. Um, generally, generally agree, and that argument always drives me completely nuts. Yeah, uh, I just don't see any merit to, you know, where they're, they're drafted, you know, beyond their first season or two because, you know, it's it's all well and good to say, hey, he was drafted in the top 20 or, you know, in the first round. But, you know, once you see them perform, that no longer has any bearing. Almost like, you know, in fantasy, it doesn't matter if you play redraft, uh, you know, where you draft a guy, you know, if, if you need to drop him for somebody, then you, you need to do it during the season. Yeah, completely agree. So, well, I, I mean, I, I valuation's a little bit different, but I agree with that statement. Yeah, so I, I guess here's here's how I, I'll kind of lay out how I see it for these four guys, and just you know, call me out on anything that you necessarily you know disagree on for sure. Uh, you know, David Johnson, I, I think he's going to be the starter in Arizona. Um, Ellington, he's he's good in the receiving game, but he's certainly you know maybe equal to Johnson's talent. Uh, and certainly he hasn't been been able to stay healthy. And Chris Johnson is mostly an afterthought at this point. Um, in terms of Devontae Freeman, I, I guess part of the reason I'm not as high on him as others is that, you know, I, I watched Tevin Coleman's tape last year and he certainly had holes in his game. But I think that he's got that home run ability. And I, I think that Kyle Shanahan's a good enough coach where he can get the best out of Coleman. I think that it's a little... Uh, risky, I guess is the word, to call Coleman a strict handcuff. Um, I don't think that Coleman's going to overtake Freeman necessarily for the starting job, but I think it's going to devolve into a little bit more of a committee than than many people think it will. Um, I just don't see Freeman getting the bulk of the touches every game like he did uh, this past year, which really began with Coleman's injury. Um, and I, I guess he kind of just ran with it. I completely agree with that. I think, I think when, I'm, when I'm valuing Freeman... A lot of, and I'm I'm almost banking on a timeshare next year. But what I'm what I'm really valuing Freeman on is his his passing game ability, and I think his, like I said, I think his floor is pretty high, uh, all things considered. Yeah, and I I do think that he's going to be very involved in that offense. They've certainly seen enough to believe in him. I just I don't know if he's even a running back one. I I really think that the touches are going to get split up a, a lot more than they were this year. Okay. No, and, and I, I, I guess I can buy into that. I just think he showed way too much this year, for, for that to, for that to really occur. I, I really do get the impression that like you don't just flash like that and then, you know, and then. Well, that I, was that. That was fun and all. Yeah, I mean, I see. I guess part of it is you know you think he has a very safe floor, and I, I do think that he has a relatively high floor, but. When I look at Atlanta's passing game, they really had Julio and nobody else. I mean, you got to think that, you know, either Justin Hardy is going to develop a little bit more next year. Or, you know, they bring in uh, more talent, whether it's a free agent or through the draft. And, you know, Matt Ryan's going to hopefully not going to have to dump it off nearly as often as he did to Freeman. Yeah, and I, and I that's that's very true because that's I think Atlanta is going to address very early in this draft the wide receiver position. Um, yeah, and I guess that that's mostly my reason to be a little bit more cautious with him. Um, Rawls, I actually think in terms of pure talent, I, I love Rawls. He his tape is absolutely amazing. When you look at you know the moves that he puts on the defenders, um, I, I think that for a guy his size, what he was what he was able to do this year was nothing short of amazing. Um, I, I think that 
I would actually place Rawls, you know, first in in terms of the those four running backs. Um, I, I think that really, even if Seattle brings someone in, that the job is basically Rawls to lose. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't disagree with that statement. Um, and and I guess I I saw a couple home run games, and I saw a couple games that left me wanting a lot more. Is what I'll say. So that my I think I'm I'm definitely going to be on the sideline watching everybody else high five each other when Rawls is the next amazing running back for sure. Cause I, know <laughs> I can see it happening. So I've kind of planted my flag. Don't own him anywhere. I'm not willing to buy at the price I have. Uh, but I mean, it's certainly, I certainly don't disagree with what you're saying. Okay. And then, you know, my last thing is I really think that Langford is the most important sell high of, of the four running backs. Um, you know, being, being a bears fan, I, you know, obviously I follow their stuff a little bit more closely than other teams and just, from all the games that I watched, I feel like so much of Langford's production came from, you know, one big, you know, one screen pass that he broke for an 80 yard touchdown. Um, and, and, you know, just big plays like that, that really, and normally that's what you want to see from running backs. You want to see those, you know, those elusive skills where they just break a big one. But I really think, excuse me, <clears throat> I really think that Adam Gase's play calling really was a big part of that. And obviously they're still going to keep some of that system in place. I just don't think that Langford has the natural talent to really be, you know, the, the, to carry that full load. I think that Kadeem carry or whoever they bring in is going to be more involved. Uh, and again, I just don't think that Langford's good enough to be a bell cow running back. Well, I, I certainly agree that I haven't Langford is the one that I haven't seen enough to make a definitive decision on what I really think about him and everybody's already crowning him. So at the, by, by default, that makes him a sell for me. Uh, so it's one of these things where, and I'm pretty sure no one's seen enough unless you watch all of his college tape. Cause he really didn't play all that much this year. How many, how many games did he start three? Uh, maybe like four or five, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, well, and, and he looked okay. Uh, but like I said, I, I didn't see, I didn't see enough from him to really want to, anoint him uh, as the new, uh, as the new running back there. And I think, I think you bring up a very interesting name that nobody's, nobody likes to talk about is Kadeem Carey, where he was hawking a lot of the goal line work in Chicago too. So it's something that, um, I, I, I think I, I agree completely with what you're saying on, on Langford, where he's a sell for me. Uh, and I, and I'm going to, you know, and until he shows me, shows me anything else, I, I'm, I'm going to view him as such. Yeah, I, I guess just uh, to wrap up real quick on on Langford, um, I loved Kadeem Carey when he came out of Arizona. Um, and really this year, comparing their performances, I thought that that Kadeem Carey was by far the better runner of the two, um, purely running, you know, running the ball. I think that Langford has better speed and better, you know, he, he can get those yards after the catch. Um, when you give him the ball in space, but I don't know that he's ever going to be a full three down running back. And I don't know that, you know, whoever Chicago brings in, isn't going to eat into those carries. It doesn't even matter if it's, you know, a guy like Joyke Bell or some, you know, some veteran running back they sign, or if it's another person they draft late. I, I really just think that of all the, of those four running backs, I watched Jeremy Langford is the most overrated between his perceived value and his actual talent. 
Um, hope certainly as a Bears fan, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I and I agree. I think that that that's he's he's very he's very reasonably or reasonably far behind the other three in my rankings. All right. Um, I think that we can agree to agree on that. Uh, and that's <laughs> basically we agree. <laughs> yeah. Finally. Um. <laughs> And yeah, I think uh, we're gonna wrap it up around here. Uh, you know, we've been rambling for quite a bit. Hopefully, uh, you know, people have stuck with us and uh, haven't fallen asleep on their couches or wherever they're listening. Um, so yeah, Eric, I just want to thank you for coming on. Uh, certainly, we we talk a good deal, you know, throughout the week, whether it's you know through email or whatever, just about things that are happening in the league. Uh, I would certainly love to have you back on at some point too. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. It's uh, it was great, great uh spitballing with you for uh for the better part of an hour and a half so hopefully it makes up for uh me st- stiffing the podcast by not coming on a, a week ago or two weeks ago when i was scheduled originally so uh really appreciate the opportunity and you, you're sticking with me and uh i'd love to come back anytime you'd have me yeah definitely and for anyone who isn't already following you on twitter uh you should definitely be following eric he certainly retweets uh, a ton of dynasty trades um even if you don't agree with some of the polls or some of the responses that you see on there, um, it's always good to get a better idea of how, how the community as a whole, you know, either values certain players or just to get different takes on how certain players are going to do next year. Um, and, you know, it's really just a hub of information and I would highly recommend it. Uh, you are at dynasty trades. That's all one word, right? Yeah, it's all one word. And you even get some rants on when I think valuation gets way out of hand. I'll go on uh, Twitter rants about why, why Des Bryant is being undervalued. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I saw a couple of tweets in uh, succession from you today about uh, Demarius. Is that right? Yeah, no, I, again, I, I get fired up sometimes, but yeah, Demarius uh, criminally, un- criminally undervalued right now. <laughs> Uh, I happen to agree, which is why I tried to buy low on him from you, but clearly you were the wrong target to uh, to <laughs> yeah. talk to there. Um, and of course, as always, you can follow me at FFA underscore Mung, that's M-E-N-G, and uh, our other co-host who uh, wasn't here today, but FFA underscore Los, L-O-S, and of course our producer Dan, at FFA underscore Dan, that's D-A-N with just one N. Um, so yeah, one last time, Eric, uh, appreciate you coming on and, uh, we'll talk to all you guys soon. And as always, it's a fantasy world and we're all just living in it. The first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there. They're going to hold on to everything the disease steals away. And the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen by funding research, advancing public policy, and spurring scientific breakthroughs. And by providing local support to those living with the disease and their caregivers, we're easing the burden until we accomplish our goal. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.